This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome along to the latest Liverpool Echo Blood Red podcast. I'm Matt Addison. Keith McDonald is alongside me in the office and we've also got Ian Doyle and Paul Gorse joining us from home. And Gorsty, I will come to you first. You've probably not long been back from the game last night. I don't know whether you travelled back this morning or, or last night, but it always feels like a, a long one to get to Leicester, but certainly a worthwhile trip. A good performance from Liverpool, another victory and some decent performances which we'll come to very shortly. Yeah, uh, last night we travelled home, so it was about 12 hours ago that we actually got back. So um, always a bit of a busy day post-game when you do a fairly lengthy away trip. But I thought it was um, one, probably one of the better ones for Liverpool this season, wasn't it? You know, they haven't had too much to shout about on the road this season. Um, obviously, the Leeds win a few weeks back was a particularly big one. And then followed on that one against West Ham a few weeks ago and just con- continued on the, the good form, wasn't it? So what is it now? Uh, nine games unbeaten. Seven successive wins. I think if, if Liverpool keep this up and go the, the entire, you know, the rest of the season in this kind of form, and they do make it to nine successive wins and eleven games unbeaten, that's almost a third of a season. Um, and considering it, I mean, it, it might tell you a couple of things. Really, kind of highlights how poor Liverpool have been when they have been, you know, in the kind of some of the worst moments of the season, but also the fact that. Even with that, they can still put together this kind of run of consistency. I didn't particularly think they were going to be able to do that, do this, what they're doing at the moment, given the the form that had been, you know, certainly up until the, the most recent international break. But they've um, managed to make some big strides, and I think now I think they are taking a look at in terms of how they can use this as a springboard to next season, rather than you know we absolutely have to get Champions League. I mean, it'd be great if it came along, but. I don't get the feeling that too many of them really believe it, other than just we'll win our games and see what happens. But um, certainly, they've um, they've come on leaps and bounds to where they were, you know. Certainly at the beginning of the year, anyway. It, it's been a bit of a difficult season, a bit of a strange one, but they are certainly the Premier League's form team at the moment, alongside Man City. And we'll see what it gets them in the next what ten days or so. Yeah, we'll come on to sort of the Champions League race and, and how likely we each think it is at, at this point in the season, Doidy. But as Gorsty said there, I mean, it's a decent little spell now for Liverpool. We spoke a, a little bit a few weeks ago when they just started to put together this unbeaten run and we weren't quite sure in terms of, of the sample size. But it feels like there's a bit of a, a substantial period now that we can look at and say, you know, the, the new role for Trent, the emergence of, of Curtis Jones, a couple of other bits within this team. It, it doesn't feel like it's one or two games now because, well, it isn't. Sample size, there's a phrase you don't hear very often on this podcast. I mean, what are the statistical things could we say? Mean, <laughs> medium, whatever it is, mode. I can't remember now. It's been a long time ago since I did my levels. Um, go back to Liverpool. I think that the interesting thing for me is that they've given themselves a reminder of how good they can be more than anything else. So they've taken confidence from that. I think that they've, you know, for a, we, we don't need to go through every single reason why they've, they've struggled for, for this season because we absolutely know. Um I think that's what kind of played on their minds. They did think, well, is this really the end for, you know, let's say, for example, Fabinho, who for a lot of the season has looked pretty poor, but I think he's played something like 12 or 13 successive games now. And I'd, I mean, I'd argue that the, the game last night was his best game that he's played certainly this year since, since before the Champions League final, since before the FA Cup final, in fact, because obviously he missed that with the, with the injury last year. So he's been key to it. And again, it's, it's, 
you've got to give credit to the coaching staff because they saw that well you know Klopp said we've got nothing to lose we may as well go for it over the last over the course of the last two months of the season when he actually came out and said this but we didn't know at the times that that meant that they've come up with a new um, tactical approach which would obviously bring more out of Trent and the knock-on effect of that is that it's made Fabinho better it's brought Curtis Jones into the team which I'm sure we'll talk about him in a bit uh, and it's also helped them start to keep clean sheets because it's better protection for the defence and going forward they've got more threat so it's like every single part of the game has improved due to this change and of course we know quite well that Dean Smith, the uh, Leicester manager last night, said that well, we thought we'd come up with a plan to stop uh, Trent getting the ball as much and we just wanted to let the goalkeeper and Canalsi have it. Well, letting the keeper out wasn't a great move, was it? Because it was his kick that started the, the first goal. So you can get teams doing that. The good thing for Liverpool, it means that they've got a bit of tactical variety now. They can go back to a normal, you know, what we said, normal, you know, 4 3 3, a normal approach. They can use Trent in this way. And I'm pretty sure that over the summer when they get the players and hopefully early and it's going to be a long pre uh, pre-season as, as, as you know we'll, we will come on to that in a bit um i'll give them more chance to do some more things but i think that uh liverpool overall it's, it's kind of that, that regret isn't it it's that once again at the end of the season the only team team keeping pace with man city is liverpool the only problem is liverpool started when they were eight and man city were only man city was second and uh ghosty bring you on bring you in on this one what was that statistic that you heard last night about arsenal Oh, to Arsenal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I'll have to. I'll have to double check that now. I think it was um, since since the World Cup, Liverpool and Arsenal got the same amount of points. Uh, twenty after twenty two games played. Uh, I'm not. I'm not too sure whether it is spot on because I, I didn't mean to have a little look into it, but I, but I haven't had a chance. I forgot all about it. But I mean that that suggest. I mean, I suppose it just sums up how a crazy year it's been for Liverpool. You know we. I think we generally tend to remember the the worst moments, don't we? Than the, the high moments, aside from obviously the incredible, you know, pandemonium that was the Manchester United game. I think, you know, defeats of Brentford and Brighton and Wolves tend to have a bit more of a marked effect than it would when you're beating Leeds six one at Elm Road or whatever. I think that's maybe something in the, the general psyche of the football followers. I'm not sure, but it has been a strange season. We'll see whether they can. Top it all off by finishing in the top four, and we'll say no more about it again and move on. But um, not too sure. Yeah, Liverpool and Arsenal conceded the same number of goals this season as well. That was the uh, yeah. surprising Arsenal stat that I saw from last night. But Kiefer, you've been to a lot of, of the away games in the away end. If you were in the away end last night, weren't you as well? I mean, there's been a fair few, I'm sure, where you've been travelling back a little bit confused about what you've seen. But that was certainly uh, a mood lifter, I would say, in terms of an away performance. Yeah, absolutely. I think. You know, obviously Leicester obviously haven't been the team that they have been in recent years, but I still think there was a bit of trepidation going, you know, yesterday, given it is on the road and, and Liverpool still kind of in the early stages, you know, of this new formation, as you say, Matt, the sample size is, is still quite quite small. And I think last night was the perfect performance in terms of control from from start to finish. Okay, I think Klopp said, you know, the first 15 minutes maybe wasn't ideal, but I think after that, and especially after the first goal, the way they kind of, you know, shut the game off and managed it was, was really good. And you know, on another night, if they, if they wanted to, it feels like they probably could have got a fourth and a fifth. Obviously, Gakpo had the chance in the first half at 1-0 or 2-0, I think it was. And then, obviously, Salah has one late on to kind of put the ice on the cake, which, you know, was a rare miss on on his standards. But, you know, the, the thing that I kind of took away from it was, obviously, it was a third clean sheet on the bounce, which obviously is, you know, something that Liverpool struggled with on the road, as, as we said. But 
with this formation, we've, we've kind of seen obviously the game against Tottenham where they kind of lost control and obviously let them back into the game in the second half. We've seen, you know, the games against Brentford and Fulham, you know, in, in recent weeks where, you know, they've been closely contested games and, they, and they've maybe edged it and, and maybe hung on a bit at the end. But this one felt like from, from, from minute one to minute 90 that Liverpool had full control over the game. And I think obviously, as you say, the sample size is, is small, but you know, now we are seeing that kind of all these players are starting to come into their own. Obviously, as Doyle says, Fabinho, I thought he was absolutely immense last night. Curtis Jones gets gets his third goal in his last four games. I think it is. Obviously, Trent continues to, to earn his blood. It's and you know now it's it's like the old thing is you're never as far away as you know people kind of think that you are. And you know, I think there was kind of this time last year when Gary Neville was saying, you know, United were you know five or six years after Liverpool, and everyone kind of was like, that this is this is crazy. You know, it's going to take a mammoth rebuild and. You know, now obviously Liverpool are one point behind. I know United do have the game in hand, and and obviously, obviously the the perception was obviously that Liverpool obviously they do need a significant rebuild to to some extent. But I think obviously now as, as kind of the reemergence of Curtis Jones and kind of the form he's found himself in now, you know, you're looking at it and the the, the whole picture is completely different to, to what we were maybe talking about during the World Cup break and and even during the New Year and and as Gorsi says that run in January where they lost to to Brighton, they lost to Wolves and and obviously got knocked out of the FA Cup as well. So. You know, there's plenty of positives, and I just think that performance last night, the, the control kind of epitomised everything this new system can bring, and it it does feel like you know coming out the ground last night, it felt really bizarre because yeah, Liverpool are fifth, but it you know, so clocked obviously did the fist pumps at the end, and it, it genuinely felt like there was a title race going on, and it was it was quite weird in in the sense of it was quite reminiscent of of the the games in you know 18, 19, and obviously not nineteen twenty as such, but you know even last season where you know you you kind of every point matters and and it was really weird because you know i said to my mates after we, we still are fifth and you know with the game in hand it'll probably be four points but it just kind of feels as as though something is, is brewing at liverpool again and building quite nicely and obviously it's a shame that the season is coming to an end because you know liverpool is you know are, are probably the, the second best team in the country at the moment on current form but you know if they can you know add a few new additions into that and and get a, a lengthened pre-season and, and kind of get the pre-season schedule right you know, it only bodes for, for positivity, you know, next campaign, which is something everyone will, will look forward to. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think in all of our answers so far, we've all mentioned Curtis Jones, Gorsley. So let's come on to, to him next. Obviously gets the two goals, looks really at home in this kind of more advanced role and a bit more of a, a free role. The consistency we've seen him over the last few games has, has been really excellent and it's just great to, to see him kind of being able to express himself, I'd say. Yeah, I thought when he when he came into the team for the Chelsea game, it was I think it was a bit more of a statement from from the manager in terms of it just being absolutely paced to the Manchester City and I'm making the changes because Nani is deserved to really keep your place. So he he benefited from that, but since then he's he's he started off a little bit um, understated, you know, mature. Um, performance is not really doing too much, you know, given what we know he is able to do. Um, we had the chance to speak to him after the game at the time, and he said it was very much about keeping it simple and, and trying to regain the manager's trust. And I think now, you know, nine games later and he's played in all of those games, I think you can certainly say that he has certainly regained the trust of, of Jürgen Klopp, hasn't he? He's, he's flourishing at the moment because he's able to move off towards the left of the midfield, which is not too dissimilar to where he made his name in youth football, you know, on the left of Liverpool's <clears throat> front three when, when he was the captain of the, the under-21s and, and whatever else coming through. And he started to um, to add some goals to his game, hasn't he? You know, what is that, three and four now? 
Um, me and Dolly were speaking to someone last night who was telling us that it's kind of been a little bit of a tactic for Liverpool to instruct Jones to attack the far post. And uh, the game was uh, sorry, the goal was the first one was very similar to the Tottenham one, wasn't it? You know, meeting it at the back post, little cushioned in step with his left foot into the bottom corner. And Klopp referenced that himself in his, in his post match press conference. So, yeah, he's um, he's enjoying probably his, his best period as a Liverpool player um, at the moment. So obviously, always someone who's, who's been coming in for, you know, league games against some of the lesser lights of the league, if you like, and, and cup games here and there. But at the moment, he's starting every game regardless of who the opposition is, and he's thriving really because of his of the way he's taken on the challenge. But also, with Trent Alexander-Arnold moving into more central areas, that allows him to to move out of that packed midfield off towards the left. Supply some help for Andy Robertson and Luis Diaz or Diogo Jota, whoever it is on that left. And yeah, long may I continue. I don't think it uh, indicates Liverpool's need to be to be bringing in any any fewer midfielders as a result of his form. I still think Liverpool need to do some serious work on that midfield department this summer. But he's certainly shown that he belongs in the squad and is now becoming more and more of a, of a serious option for whatever game Liverpool are playing. Doesn't matter who it is. So. Uh, yeah, good on him. He's, uh, he's enjoying his, his best moments as, as a Liverpool player, I suppose. We've had plenty of, of conversations on this podcast about him over the last couple of years, Doidy, in terms of his position in the squad. And I think we've all kind of firmly said at the very least he can be in this Liverpool squad, he can be a squad option and, and be a player for the next few years for, for Liverpool. But has the, the last few games changed your perception of him at all? Do you think he's maybe got a higher ceiling in terms of becoming a first-team one of the first names on the team sheet week in, week out? Or what's the, the sort of verdict from yourself in, in terms of, of what he's done over the last few games? Well, I think he... I'm not sure whether any of them will be... Because of the position he plays in, in the midfield, I don't think he'll ever be one of the first names on the team sheet because they've got, they're going to end up with so many midfielders. You I mean, you look at Fabinho, if he's actually playing well, as we said before, he is. But after that, the rest of them aren't really going to be, you know, what you could say are absolute certainties to be playing. A bit different if they're playing in a final or whatever have you, but then the team will have, will have evolved to a certain degree so you'd have a good idea, which has happened in the past. But, uh, yeah, as Ghosty said, Liverpool are going to be making two, possibly three midfield signings in the in the summer, so it's interesting that, you know, Fabinho and Jones have kind of not so much responded to that, but kind of thought, well, hang on, there's going to be a load of new ones coming in here. And I know quite well that you know, Oxlade Chamberlain and Cater haven't been playing. Arthur hasn't played, and Milner is is you know he's he's obviously the elder statesman. You've still got Henderson, you've got Elliot, and don't forget that uh, Marketic is another one who's who's who came in for a little bit. It's funny, isn't it, that it was only like in was it February that he or January he was playing instead of Fabinho. And everyone was like, oh, that's great, but it does go to show that. If you get a bit of legs in around Fabinho, which is what Jones has got, because he's only 22, which is what Trent is also offering uh, by going in there as well, he can just concentrate on just being Fabinho, that is, can just concentrate on being the player he needs to be. And part of that is down to Jones, because he's he's shown that he can play in a number of positions. In a number of positions. We know he can play on the left as a, as a forward, but Liverpool must have about 13,000 players who can play there. So it's good for his career that he's, he's learned how to play in midfield. I mean, he, you know, Gorsi spoke to him, uh, I think it was after the Chelsea game. Um, and when he spoke in the past, and he spoke after the game you know, last night, and he said that he's had to change his game. And he's always been quite, you know, the thing about Curtis is that he's always been a very confident lad. But on top of that, 
you always got the sense that he's a confidence player, which means that he does need a run of the, run of the team and he does need to have a confidence that while he might have always have that internally, it's a bit more difficult to express that when you're playing out on the football field. You know, you know everybody has dips in form. But he's, I think he's played 95 games now for Liverpool. So it's not like he's a... He might be young in terms of age, certainly. as He's young compared to me, let's put it that way. Uh, but you know, he's young compared to an awful lot of his teammates. But I hope nearly, to have nearly 100 games. And as Gorsty said, this is probably his best run he's ever had in the team, with his best form. So... Liverpool have invested a lot of time and effort and energy into this player because they knew he would end up becoming a, a first-team player. And even if he didn't play again after to, after yesterday, as I said, he's nearly played 100 games for Liverpool. That's a Liverpool who are probably amongst the best Liverpool teams that's ever been. So, you know, this is a player who's got real quality. And, OK, let's, let's say the fact that he's homegrown, he's always going to have that kind of thing against him because some of the supporters prefer the shiny new signings. And he's unfortunately had to do his growing up in the Liverpool team. Whereas, let's just say for argument's sake, someone like Alexis McAllister, he's done it in Argentina. He's done it away from the main teams. He's done it at Brighton. I'm pretty sure he made loads of mistakes when he started at Brighton. But now that he's looking, you know, this good and he's won the World Cup, suddenly everybody's interested. People don't. People forget about all the other stuff that he's had to go through. Like every other footballer's had to go through. Curtis has had to do this at Liverpool in the spotlight. You know, whereas responsible for that as anybody because we go to the youth league games we go to the under 21s the under 18s we've seen him and even when Steven Gerrard was in charge of the under 18s he was like Curtis is going to be a really good player and he was right because everybody knew he would what you're seeing now is a player who perhaps now believes that he deserves to be where he is and it's also interesting that the position he plays is essentially it's Thiago's position isn't it on the left of that midfield three. That's where Thiago's been playing since he's, he's come to Liverpool. And he offers totally different things, but because he offers them, it allows Trent to perhaps provide some of the stuff that Thiago provides by doing those passes, you know, by doing that kind of thing, by dictating the play. So Liverpool do have a ta- tactical variety. And, and a lot of that's down to the fact that you've got players like Curtis Jones who can change their game. And as I said, he's only, he was only 22 in January, so... There's still going to be even more to come from him. And I'm pretty sure, you know, he'd say exactly the same thing because he's scored, scored against Tottenham, scored two against uh, Leicester last night. He's got a lot more goals than anybody who's watched him play for any, you know, when he was back with the academy. I mean, I think in the youth league, there was one season where he's quite clearly probably the best player in the competition full stop. But then he got moved up to the first team. So then he, he didn't play the knockout stages. So I do think that Curtis, I'm not going to do the whole thing of like, he's like a new signing because he's not, He's just basically like the player that everybody hoped he would become, and I think that's what he's becoming now. Yeah, I think he was really excellent last night. I think as well, if uh, let's say James Madison had put in that kind of performance against Liverpool, I'm sure there'd be a fair few Liverpool fans. Well, well James, Madison, James Madison, I genuinely, while I was there, I didn't even notice he was playing until about nine minutes ago. Said that to Gorsley before. It was like he just had no impact on the game. And I know it's not just down to him. There's an awful lot going on at Leicester, but you're right. If, if Jones does that kind of performance, everybody want to sign him. Absolutely. And I think, as we've all mentioned again, Kiefer, sort of the, the position that Trent is picking up is a big part of, of that. Jones, him, Fabinho, it's starting to look like there's a bit of a, a midfield plan moving forwards. And then you can add in the new transfers and, and what will happen in the summer. It, it starts to look like, rather than a big problem for Liverpool, a bit more of an exciting thing for the future. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's the thing, isn't it? Having options and is you know, we've, we've kind of seen it with the front line now that they've obviously kind of subtly done the rebuild over a, a couple of windows and 
And obviously, I know Firmino's going, but they've now got you know five quality options. And you look at the midfield, and you'd imagine that will take place this summer and and over the you know the next you know six to twelve months that will kind of flesh out quite nicely. And then you know if you are back to competing on you know four fronts as Liverpool were last season, you know especially if they are playing in the Europa League and they have that kind of tight you know Thursday Sunday turnaround, they've got quality players. You know whoever the opposition is, and we saw that last season as they went for the quadruple, how important that was. You know your likes of your, your Minaminos and your Rigis who were willing to step up in. In those kind of lesser games and and you know what what that does for Liverpool in terms of the bigger picture in, in terms of building momentum in the Champions League and building momentum in the Premier League and you know it, it's, it's why I wonder there was a conversation of well, I say conversation but there was some people who were maybe willing for the idea of Jota to kind of go to summer when there was a few murmurs and it's like you know you finally get you know strength in depth I mean you only have to look at Man City but between the two Real Madrid games you know the, the team they were able to field at, at Everton on Sunday you know Jack Grealish comes in Riyad Mahrez um, you know, Julian Alvarez, you know, still start Erling Haaland and and that's what Liverpool are up against. And, you know, I imagine City will strengthen again in the summer and, and you know, if Liverpool are going to get back to the kind of the upper echelons of the, of the you know, certainly the Premier League, they're going to have to go toe-to-toe and rack up 95, 96, 97 points again. And, and you know, having players, you know, I mean, you look at Harvey Elliott now who, you know, he started obviously big wins this season, obviously started against uh, City at Anfield, didn't he? He started at Spurs the other week, started against United. He's played what forty-five games. This, this, I think he played every game up until Chelsea away, Hansi, and then obviously he's kind of had a couple of weeks out of the team now. And, and all of a sudden, you think that well, maybe he is the fourth or fifth choice, which it just shows how quickly the pecking order changes. And and as Dolly says, you know, it becomes a, a situation where there probably isn't a pecking order because you know different tactics, different teams, and you know different varieties of you know if Thiago comes back, for instance, how does that change his Trent's, Trent's role? Because you know he likes to come deep and pick up the ball and kind of be that deep line playmaker. So. You know, there is plenty for Liverpool to, to, to kind of think about. And I suppose that's only good because at times we've seen the season when we've, you know, we've been crying out for changes. You know, as I, as I go back to that kind of that January 2023 and you were just crying out for something different, a bit of creativity. And and they were kind of just stuck with that 4-3-3 and they experimented with other, you know, 4 one 2 one 2 earlier in the season. And obviously it didn't work, but now it feels like they have that 4-3-3, which obviously they've, they've swept a lot in terms of trophies with over the last couple of years. But they also have this new kind of, you know, whatever formation you want to call it with the box midfield. And, you know, obviously the, the, the kind of buzzword in, at Liverpool over the, the kind of the last 24, 18 months kind of thing has been, you know, um, obviously has been intensity, hasn't it? But obviously the identity of, you know, being different and unpredictable and, 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 and Liverpool are at the moment, it looks like no one knows how to deal with this this new system. And uh, yeah, it is, like I say, it is promising. And, and Jones is obviously largely down to that and kind of echo what, what the lads say there about in terms of his position, you know, you look at obviously yeah, he's replacing Thiago, but if you go further back in terms of Wijnaldum, who was the ultimate kind of systematic player in terms of, you know, where where he came from in from Newcastle, where he's obviously a bit more of a, a wide forward and, and Klopp kind of kind of transformed into like the, the ultimate recyclable player who could win possession, you know, bring it forward and 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 it felt like Jones obviously took that role, didn't he, when he played the left centre mid, but now he's kind of been given further license for freedom and he's a He's a bit less restricted in his role, and I think you know we are starting to see the player that that we saw in the academy all those years ago. And and there's you know as, as they say, he's, he's nearly played 100 games for Liverpool, and probably you know, certainly the best team of the 21st century. And you know that's no no mean feat, is it? So you know, long may it continue, and you know it only benefit Liverpool if, if it is too. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, certainly two excellent performances from Trent and from Curtis Jones last night. But let's talk about a player that wasn't playing Gorsty and Roberto Firmino. We heard 
the song going off in the, the background as Liverpool played. There were celebrations after the match as well in terms of sort of celebrating what he has done for Liverpool. Obviously, his time at, at Liverpool is coming to an end, but it was nice to, to have that moment, I think. We do expect him to, to be back in training this week, of course, but it was nice to, to have that moment just before he does leave Liverpool at the end of this season. Yeah, it was great that he chose to, to travel with the team, wasn't it? Because, you know, uh, I'm sure Liverpool fans would have been in full voice for him regardless, but it was great that he was there to see it. The cameras panned in on him with that beam and smile. And then, lovely touch at the end, I thought, actually, when he went over with the rest of his teammates and they were kind of shoving him to the centre of the stage and he was taking in all the adulation. Um, I think someone signed it and it went on for eight minutes straight, the Firmino song yesterday, and it was only kind of ended because Trent Alexander-Arnold stuck one in the top corner. Um, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be an emotional one Saturday, isn't it? I think uh, Liverpool have become accustomed to losing big names on on free transfers at the end of the season in the last three, four, five years. You know, Emre Chan, Gino Wijnaldum, um, Divock Origi. But I think Saturday will be a, a big one for Firmino um, and James Milner, of course. But yeah, it was a, it was a great moment, and he actually come walking past us in the mix zone. Just as he as he was leaving for me, you know, he was on the first on the team coaching. He was just beaming from ear to ear. You know, he obviously loved what his teammates had done on the pitch, and he just seemed to be a little overwhelmed with the reception that he got. Um, but nothing less than he deserves. He's been an absolute legend, hasn't he? A modern day great, and probably for me, someone who personifies the Jurgen Klopp era. Really, you know, obviously preceded Klopp by about three or four months, but I think perhaps only Jordan Henderson. Come in before him, maybe Joe Gomez or Milner. They came in the same summer, didn't he? So that's splitting hairs, really. But yeah, a real um, legendary figure of the club who um, deserves all the adulation that he gets Saturday afternoon. And hopefully, he can play a part. And uh, it'd be great if he come off the bench with 20 to go and just, you know, just added to his, uh, his old tally, wouldn't they? Imagine Anfield might, uh, might blow the roof off the Anfield Road before it's even gone on. <laughs> yeah, it'd certainly be be nice to, to see him. I mean, we have heard a couple of times in the last couple of weeks, Dodi, that he's going to return to turn to team training and then hasn't quite managed it. And we thought he might have been back by this point. But yeah, fingers crossed he can get that send off at Anfield. And even if he doesn't get onto the pitch, I'm sure there'll be similar scenes at Anfield as what there was last night at the King Power. Yeah, as Gorsi said, it was a nice touch that he went. Not <clears throat> just him as well, was the Nunes went as well. But obviously, Firmino gets. Uh... Just trots over to the to the away end after the game because it, the only thing that stopped them singing it was Trent scored because they would have still carried, probably still be doing it now you know on the way home woke up this morning still been doing it um, but yeah I mean what is it eight years at Liverpool I think uh, is it right no one's played more games under Jurgen Klopp as a manager yeah. than than Firmino um, I mean I don't think people are ready for what's going to happen on Saturday to be honest it's going to be a going to be an emotional occasion. Um, not just as as Gus said, not just for him. The, the, I mean, there's Milner as well, and we can't ignore the others as well. You know, Navigators going, and it's not quite worked out for him at Liverpool. Um, Alex Oxlade Chamberlain the same, and who knows what would have happened to him if he didn't pick up that injury against Roma? That's that's what's that now? Five years ago now, isn't it? So, yeah. but he's somebody who played an awful lot during the the, the title winning season in 2019-20. So, and Adrian as well, who must who's definitely gone down as the most successful second-choice goalkeeper in Liverpool's history, purely on, you know, trophies won. But he, he won the Community Shield this year. He, he played in the Super Cup uh, final. He, he won a Premier League trophy. So, you know, he, he couldn't have really done much more for for what he did. Um, I've got more reward for what he did, I should say. And, 
And Zatha Mello, remember him? He was on the bench at Leicester. I mean, it seems a bit... I, we were talking about this on the way home, uh, Ghosty. We had, we had a couple of people in the car, and we were saying that it would be a bit harsh if he gets all the way through the season by never playing in the Premier League. Because it wasn't his fault he got injured. You know, and, it's, and there was a reason why he got bought, was to come for the injuries, and then he picked up one. So it would be nice to see him play. But for all of that, Liverpool's still going for the Champions League, aren't they? So there's not going to be any like throwing people on just for the sake of it. If anyone's coming on, Liverpool are, will need them to do something. Unless, of course, Liverpool are two or three nil up with about two minutes to go. But you know, Aston Villa isn't going to be easy. We'll touch on that in a podcast later this week. So um, yeah, but for for me, you know, we, I think we had a bit of a glimpse there, didn't we? If that's what three thousand people think, imagine what fifty-three thousand people are going to be thinking. Yeah, it's going to be some celebration of him, isn't it, Kiefer, on uh, on Saturday and. Yeah, as Dory says, not not just him, but I think him probably more than than all of the others, just because he kind of sums up the, the Jurgen Klopp era. I mean, we we well, I heard you and, and Rich in the office before talking about favourite moments and kind of trying to to pick out one of of those. But I suppose he's he's just one of those players that that's that's a really hard thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think the one that stands out if I had to put on is the Club World Cup final goal in terms of importance, and obviously Liverpool never obviously won that before, and to go in the final is. And the, the 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 manner of the celebrations as well in over in Qatar just yeah I think that that just summed up for me you know didn't it you know all his teammates on top of him and shirt off I think it was even maybe a no look as well in there so you know there's everything about him and as as Gorsi said he's a modern day great obviously a term not not to be overused but he absolutely fits the, the description and it's a bit of a weird one isn't it because yeah, obviously there has been obviously Wayne Adams you know Emre Chans and and, and Origi's who have left but this does feel like the first big one, obviously, one Adam only had like what a tenth of the stadium or a quarter of the stadium. Obviously, when when he left, uh, you know, two years ago, so that wasn't obviously it was a send off, but it wasn't a, a full you know send off as, as what it probably should have been. And then obviously, Marnie, I think people you know maybe thought it would be his last game, but there was no real commotion or anything like that. Um, so he didn't again get the, the departure he deserved. So you know, obviously, Firmino is the first real, you know, if you're talking about significant members of the first team, he is, you know, as, as someone who kind of defined the crop here, he is going to be the first one. And and obviously, therefore, therefore it's going to be an, an emotional occasion on Saturday. And obviously, I don't think anyone's looking forward to, to it, but you just hope they can get on the pitch and kind of, you know, either way, there will be, obviously, he'll get his, his, his guard of honour and all that kind of stuff. But you just hope he can get on the pitch and just kind of, you know, just have one last appearance in a Liverpool shirt. But, you know, if that isn't to be the case, you know, is what his last involvement, apart from coming on at Leeds, was, was that goal against Arsenal. You know, no no more fitting opponent than against Arsenal in front of the cop end, a late header. So, you know, there's that as well. But yeah, it will be it will be a sad one, and it, you know, it will close up on a, a wonderful Liverpool career. Yeah, I can only imagine what the scenes would be like if he came off the bench and scored the winner. But I'm sure it'll be a, an interesting afternoon anyway for for him. But. Uh... Let's talk a little bit about the, the Champions League race. We'll, we'll talk about pre-season as well, just before we finish, Gorsi. But I'll come to you first on the top four race and how likely you think it is. We've kind of touched on this a few times on the podcast. Liverpool keep winning, but the other teams keep doing just about enough to stay ahead. It, it kind of feels still like a bit of a stretch, but Liverpool have just got to win the two games and, and see what happens, I suppose. Yeah, I think Liverpool have just ran out of the road a little bit. I've nearly only got two games left. Think if the season would have extended another three, four games, maybe they might just have enough in the tank to do it. But I'm not sure at the moment. Um, you know, you're looking at those Newcastle games, thinking they've still got Brighton to play, they've still got Chelsea, and and is it Leicester is, is the other one? Maybe there's enough room in there for a, for a slip up, but they probably need a couple, don't they? I think Brighton will be a really tough one for Newcastle. Uh, Chelsea 
could could be anything, couldn't they? You know, they've been shocking for months on end, so we'll see. But um, I just think the fact that Liverpool have given themselves a real chance is, is more of an indicator for what they might be able to do in terms of having a good summer and, and you know, uh, using it as a platform going into next season. Um, I think it might just be a little bit too late, to be honest, for them to, to get Champions League, but we'll see. Dory, how uh, how likely is it if you had to, to put a number on it? What what sort of percentage do you think it is for Liverpool to get into the top four? 20 percent. It's not much, is it? I think they had ghost. He said they've just run out of games. Um, it's so after such a terrible season. The irony is that most of them would be wishing it, it wouldn't end. But uh, you know, unfortunately, everybody else is thirty eight games in the Premier League season. And that's you know that time frame is when you're supposed to deliver, and Liverpool weren't able to do it. In the first half of the season, we, we checked out that stat, by the way, and it's Arsenal have taken one more point than Liverpool since the World Cup. So that's over the last 22 games. So, you know, that does, does you know, that, that gives them a certain sense of sense of regret because they're still 16 points behind Arsenal. So um, it just goes to show that, you know, if they'd have been more clever at the start of the season, they'd be in a much different position and they wouldn't have been scrambling around. I mean, the, the three games they'll come back down to are Leeds at home, uh, Forest away, which was in the space of a few days, and Bournemouth away. And if you win two of them, quite easily done, given the fact that they absolutely taunt Bournemouth, beat Leeds, and uh, they just about got past Nottingham Forest at home. Um, and they'd easily be in the top four, which is probably where, you know, I, a lot of people, I've always said this about certain teams, they, they should be getting more points or they're getting fewer points. You look at, I think Arsenal have got more points than perhaps they should have done this season. Liverpool have had fewer. Like last last season, I think United, Man United should have had ten more points. They can just chuck in towards the end of the season. Like they were ten points better off. And they've been doing that this season. But I think Liverpool are at least six, seven, eight points better than they've shown. Which, if they win the last two games, would have taken them up to nearly nearly eighty points. And I don't think anyone would say it was a bad season. But the reality is, it, that's what's happened. That's what they did. And the regret is that they're showing it now. What we thought would have been at the start of the season. You know, you. you I don't think they were ever going to be challenging for the league. I remember we did the podcast right at the start of the season. Everybody's like, oh, it's going to be between Liverpool and City and Liverpool can win this, that and the other. And I was the only one who said they're going to win nothing because it's a transitional season. And I just wasn't expecting it to be this transitional. It's more of a like a transitional seven months, wasn't it? Until they finally got everything together. So, uh, no, I don't think they'll finish in the top four. But they're in the Europa League now. They're definitely finishing the top six. So... I think Klopp said, well, he did say after the game last night that he said six or seven weeks ago, wouldn't have believed would have been, would have even been in that. So that tells you the kind of mindset that Liverpool were in at that time. And who knows these next, you know, we may look back on these last two months, the last two months of this season as a bit of a turning point in the, the Klopp era where they've gone from his first great team heading towards his next you know, challenging or trophy challenging team. Yeah, I suppose at the very least you can look at these nine games in terms of this being the, the start of, of next season. But, Gorsty, we wanted to talk about pre-season as well because that's going to be a big thing for Liverpool. Some plans starting to, to go into to place in terms of, of how that's going to look and a little bit different to, to how it has been in the past couple of seasons. Yeah, so Liverpool have announced this morning that they're going back to Singapore, something that we reported on, I think it was maybe late March, um, they're going back to play in the Standard Charter Trophy, or rather defend the esteemed Standard Charter Trophy that Doyley was there to see them win last season against Crystal Palace, was it? So they're playing uh, Leicester City and Bayern Munich. Um, but I think I think the key difference with Liverpool's pre-season this summer is the fact that 
they're kind of doing a little bit a little bit of a, of a different way around and that they're going to go to germany first on the, the european based hard work and training camp which is very much about football work tactical work um getting the intensity levels up the fitness in the legs the base level fitness is up all that kind of stuff that you never used to like to do when you played Sunday league and you went back to pre-season you know it was, it was going to be a bit of a slog so that's what Liverpool are going to be under in the, the Black Forest and then they do the commercial driven jaunt a little bit later on so um, that's been flipped around and I think that's been a Jürgen Klopp decision very much seems determined behind the scenes to make sure that there's no repeat of this season uh, and he feels that getting all of his players up to the right levels of fitness early on is key to that because I think if you look across last season, you got Yogo Jota injury, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Curtis Jones got injured in, in the Community Shield, which he's still dealing with, to be honest. So um, probably Naby Keita was injured in there at some point as well. It's, it's something that Liverpool are trying to minimise this season by flipping around the schedule. And um, still going to have uh, friendlies in, in Germany as well as Singapore, but... Um, a little bit of a different schedule this time around, which is very much being driven by the football operation side rather than the commercial side of things, which we know is so important to clubs the size of Liverpool, and particularly Liverpool for the way they work, being self-sustainable and all that. The um, projected income somewhere between 10 and 12 million for the, for those trips. So Liverpool need that money, but certainly um, Klopp seems to have maybe put his foot down a little bit and thought, we're doing it this, this way this time around. And, we're going to make sure that we're not going to have any of the nonsense of last summer where the players were, were dropping like flies weren't they, early on in the season. Yeah, we know how important pre-season is, Doidy, in terms of, of what Liverpool do. We've seen evidence of, of that in the past where they've had a, a longer pre-season. They tend to have a better season that follows that. But it, it kind of feels especially important to me this summer that there's no tournament to, to go off to. There's there's none of the other distractions because they are going to have to have a bit of an overhaul in terms of the midfield. They're going to have to integrate probably quite a few more players than what we've seen, certainly in a couple of, of summers under Jurgen Klopp. It, it kind of feels like they need that time to, to be able to, to use it wisely to get ready for next season. Well, don't forget you've got some other players like Calvin Ramsey, who's been there for a year now and has barely played. And he got it, he, you know, I think he was back on the pitch, wasn't he, last week on the training pitch, doing a bit of running around. So he's somebody else who'll be looking to have a fresh start. They'll make two, three, possibly four signings, depends on which players leave. Who knows what the goalkeeping situation is going to be like? You know, who knows what the centre-back situation is going to be like? So, yeah, I don't think there's going to be that... I, I don't think... You know, there's, there's been summers where Liverpool have had to integrate more players. Like at 2018, yeah, quite a few players came in then. 2016, 17 as well, to be fair. So, it's only the last couple of years that they've kind of been a bit more targeted in, in what they've required, but they're going to need more than they've had in the last couple of years. But but even then, Gakpo came in halfway through the season. Uh, Nunes has had another, got a year under his belt. So certainly going to be in better shape than they were last year because uh, I don't necessarily think there's going to be any... I know we've just said Firmino's leaving, but he's hardly played really this season and he kind of like was, was knocked out the first team as a regular last season. Um, there's going to be nobody like massively major integral leaving now, is there? I don't think in the summer. I think uh, they're now going to be building on what they've got, which is a better position to be in than, say, when Sadio Mane left last year or when Aldam left the, the, the year before that, although they found a way around that one. There are some players who are a lot easier to replace than others, and I think Liverpool aren't necessarily losing ones that are going to be difficult to replace. It just means that, certainly in the midfield, they're going to have to get the right players in to help the ones that are there already. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, certainly the back end of this season has set it up nicely for a good pre-season and a good start to next season as well, hopefully. But that will just about do us for today's podcast. Thanks to Paul and to Ian for joining me and for Kiefer as well alongside me in the office. We'll catch you all next time right here on the Blood Red channel. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.